welcome to the She Talks Health Podcast, your source for information about all things women's hormonal health. I'm your host, Sophie Shepard. I'm the founder of She Talks Health and the co-creator of the 12-week Empower Her group gut and hormone program. I'm a certified functional health coach and a holistic menstrual health educator. This podcast was created to give you clarity about how to take control over your hormonal health using safer, natural options. I created this podcast to cover the widespread and complex health issues plaguing women today. From the rise of infertility to the epidemically high numbers of women with autoimmune disease to menstrual cycle problems, digestive issues, anxiety, weight gain, food sensitivities, mental, emotional, and energetic imbalances, and so much more. If there's a topic that you need answered, I encourage you to write us at podcast at shetalkshealth.com and we will try our absolute best to cover that subject. My greatest mission in life is to help women radically change their health and their lives by teaching them how they can use their hormones as their superpowers. So with that in mind, I hope you enjoy today's episode. As always, ladies, this podcast and the information being provided to you is for educational and informational purposes only, and it should not be taken as medical advice. It is not intended to treat or cure any specific illness, and it is not to replace the guidance provided by your own medical practitioner. This information is to be used at your own risk based on your own judgment. And if you suspect you have a medical problem, we urge you to take appropriate action by seeking medical attention. Hey, 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 this is Sophie Shepard, and I am back with another amazing episode. This time we are interviewing Dr. Tanya Painter, all about migraines and a little bit about her. She graduated from the University of Washington with a bachelor's degree in cellular and molecular biology total nerd <laughs> and <It's> a minor <laughs> with a minor in inorganic chemistry before attending medical school at Bastyr University. She graduated in 2012 with her naturopathic medical degree and has been treating women with chronic migraines for almost a decade, having suffered from chronic headaches herself for nearly 20 years. She has a special calling to help women find a way to manage their migraines more effectively. And she's the founder of Migraine Mastery, a 24-week online program designed to significantly reduce migraines and help women better manage their symptoms so they can move beyond just surviving and get back to doing what they love. Welcome to the She Talks Health podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, me too. I'm really excited. We were just talking before we pressed record that I don't think we've done a podcast about migraines specifically, and I see it in at least, I would say, 20 to 30% of the client population that I work with. So I'm so excited to learn more about your mastery in this specific part of health for women that is just um, really prolific. And actually, maybe where we could start is, if you don't mind sharing just a little bit about your story and, and what, after 20 years, did it for you in terms of reversing things so you're not dealing with chronic migraines anymore. Yeah, of course. So uh, my story starts when I was 16. I was rear-ended in uh, by a, a car. And it started as just kind of intermittent headaches after the initial injury kind of resolved. And then it kind of progressed from there into kind of a low-grade daily headache. And then the migraine started. And 
you know, I, I'd get some of the auras, I'd get the fun, you know, wavy underwater vision things. And um, the first time I had it, man, I thought I was having a stroke. I was so freaked out. But then I just, you know, I started to understand, oh, this is, this is actually a migraine. Like this is something that it comes along with the headaches that I'm having. So awesome. And then it, it just kind of spiraled into pretty, pretty much I was living with a constant headache in one degree or another. It was always there. I, you know, was always just told manage it with medications and that just never sat well. Even, even when I was a kid, I didn't like taking medication. There was just something that rebelled in me against taking medications. So I think that's something that many of the listeners can also relate yeah. to. Maybe, maybe later on we can kind of circle back to when, when is it appropriate or is it ever appropriate for me? Absolutely. Yes. Well, it's a tool, right? Um, fast forward, I learned about this weird type of medicine called naturopathic medicine. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but so weird. Like, what is that? <laughs> so weird. But I just fell in love with the approach of understanding like our bodies are made to innately heal themselves. And so my first thought was not, you know, to heal myself of my headaches. I wasn't even on the radar, but I knew that I had always wanted to be a doctor. And so I, and this was the type of medicine that I wanted to practice. Like I was not about prescribing meds. I wanted to figure out what imbalances were causing my headaches or people's problems and solving them. So they didn't have to be reliant on things like medications. So I went to med school and the more I learned, the more I started understanding what was going on in my own body and putting all the pieces together. And it was a long journey. It took me probably about 10 years to put all of the things together, but it really became, you know, when I went from daily, you know, probably five or six was my best days up to, you know, I could barely get out of bed. It hurt too bad. The light was too bright. Sounds would just trigger, trigger the, the intense pain. Once I started kind of putting it together and, and starting to wake up without pain and living an entire day without pain, I'm like, wow, it really is possible. And so, you know, moving forward after I uh, went into clinical practice, I just had a special place in my heart for the women um, that would come in with migraines. And I say women specifically because that was the vast majority of people I saw with migraines, right? But of course, it always applies to men too. Uh, and I just had a special place in my heart for them. And, and also, I knew how to treat them. Like it, I knew what I was doing and it was working for me. And with a few tweaks to a plan for somebody else, generally, there's always a kind of the same handful of problems. So mm -hmm. we start working on them in whatever order makes sense for that person. And, and that kind of led me to where I am now. Amazing. I Well, that is such an inspiring story, especially for anyone listening who is suffering from chronic migraines, yeah. really any chronic illness. Like I, I love that idea of the body healing itself. I remember the very first schooling I did was through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and Joshua Rosenthal said, given half the chance the body will heal itself. And mm -hmm. I was like thinking, oh my gosh, I haven't really given my body half a chance here because I didn't know what to do. You know, we're not really taught right. any of this stuff. We are just taught, oh, take a medication and, and kind of mm -hmm. band-aid approach things and we don't really go into it. So, okay, there's a lot of questions I want to ask. <laughs> maybe, maybe the first one we can ask is why is medication alone maybe not the complete solution? And when would it be a tool that someone would want to utilize and then like, I know we were talking before, like sometimes shorter term can be helpful. So like a lot of medication question, because I think most people have probably gone to their doctor with migraines and been medicated. So what's the, what's your opinion about all of that? I think that I'm a person who believes that any tool we have, we should use, right? But medication should be looked at as a band-aid. If you have a great big open gash, you put a Band-Aid on it until you get to the hospital and you sew up the gash, right? We we don't just treat it with the Band-Aid itself and then go about our day because we're not 
dealing with the actual problem. And so I think that medications, and I've, you know, suggested for several clients that weren't on medications, I thought were the appropriate choice for them to go back to their neurologist and ask for them so that they could get relief so that they had the energy and the wherewithal to be able to do the things they needed to do for their self-healing. And, you know, anybody who's had migraine understands like even just the idea of, of cooking a healthy meal is so overwhelming. Like you just can't do it. So you have to get to the point where you can actually move and function in order to be able to care for yourself. And in a lot of cases, medication is helpful. But when that's the only option that's offered by, you know, by the doctor, then that becomes problematic because as we were talking about earlier, medications themselves can actually contribute to the migraine issue. And then we're starting to kind of look at worsening symptoms as a result of what was given to them to help their symptoms in the first place. And, and that becomes a problem. Yeah, well, let's maybe that's where we can go next is a whole a more holistic look at this. And I really appreciate that because, you know, I was on a medication for my mental health for a decade. And I always say the same thing, like, I thank God for that medication, because I didn't know how to have manage my stress and my kind of constant negative thought loops. Then once I was able to create, you know, parasympathetic tools for myself, and I was able to rewire my brain. So I didn't have all those negative thoughts all the time. And I was able to work on my gut and I was able to work on my nutrition for my brain. Then I was able to come off of that medication, but it was exactly the band-aid that I needed at the time so that I could take care of myself, even exactly. take that first step. Love that advice. So, okay. So we talked about, there's kind of a lot of things that um, someone might want to think about holistically to address their migraines, really getting to that more root cause. Cause as we know, chronic issues are not the, they're not caused by the lack of uh, migraine medication. So, right. Right. <laughs> so like someone walks into your office or you get a, have a phone call with them. What are like the diet, lifestyle, digestion, stress management, supplement, like herbs, like where do you even start to begin with somebody? Like what would be the first thing you kind of start to ask them or suggest that they try? Yeah. So if it's a brand new person, I don't know anything about them. They're just walking in for the first time. There's always the foundational stuff to work on, right? So we immediately move into an anti-inflammatory diet. Uh, I like the AIP autoimmune protocol because it takes away a lot of the inflammatory foods. It can be a big jump for some people, but there's one little caveat is a lot of people try grain restriction in migraines. And in some cases it can absolutely help, but in more cases than not in a chronic migraine situation, so chronic being someone who has more headache days than not a month, that tends to be problematic. It, it tends to mess with their serotonin production. So we don't find that restricting grains um, in a chronic situation is helpful. But other than that, kind of following along with an AIP and autoimmune protocol diet. So that's number one. Number two is- oh, Wait, 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 wait. Oh. I need to ask you a follow-up question about that. Okay. Because I did AIP to heal. So you're saying when someone takes the- could they go gluten-free, but not grain-free? Like they could still eat rice right. or things like Correct. that. Correct. Yeah. So to clarify, you would be removing, uh, you'd be removing corn. You would be removing gluten. Those are the two big pro-inflammatory grains. And then the other grains, things like whole grain rice, wild rice, teff, uh, millet, sorghum, some of the ancient grains that most people are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like I've never heard of those. And that's okay. Most people haven't. But, you know, amaranth and quinoa and a lot of those can be very, very um, nutritious and very nutrient dense. It's just not commonly eaten. So people are like, I don't know, teff, but teff is like one of my absolute favorite grains. It is so delicious. If you haven't tried it, Google it, get some from Amazon and just try cooking with it. It's amazing. <laughs> 
because of all the B vitamins, I would think too, would be really helpful for your serotonin, your brain. So that's really, that's great advice. You know, I think that's really also very interesting because I've, I've talked to a lot of people who've done AIP. You know, I work with a lot of Hashimoto's people because of my recovery and I'm always hesitant to jump right into AIP if some, or like to make caveats such as that, like maybe still keep whole grain rice or something because a lot of them, when they go super low carb, it will tank their serotonin. And then they're like, I have no will to live. (laughs) Exactly. And so they're just like, oh my gosh. And so we try to not avoid those extremes. That's really fascinating. Okay. So that's step number one is um, anti-inflammatory diet, maybe thinking about keeping grains in, but like AIP type of level. Okay. Cool. And then of course, there's what anyone who's been dealing with migraines for any period of time knows about, right? We need to get on a sleep schedule, make sure we're sleeping well. We need to make sure that we're managing our stress well and taking time for ourselves. You know, we need to work on hydration. So those aren't new to most people. We just want to make sure that those are optimized, right? So really making sure even though you know about it, it's not necessarily always something you do. So we just want to make sure that those are on board. And then, um, you know, that in and of itself, all of those things is enough for the first visit. Right. But then if we want to consider adding in some nutritional thing or some, you know, supplement options, then, you know, magnesium, specifically magnesium glycinate has been studied. Um, and magnesium three and eight are the two forms of magnesium that have been both studied to be the most beneficial in migraine, um, B2, riboflavin uh, and CoQ10 are another one. Fish oil is another one. So any combination thereof, you know, maybe a good B vitamin, multivitamin. And then we want to get some labs ordered. We want to make sure that we're doing a very comprehensive yearly lab. So including things like the obvious stuff, the red blood cells, right? CBC, the complete metabolic panel, a full thyroid panel, including free T3, free T4, reverse T3, and then Hashimoto's Moto antibodies on top of the TSH. Yeah. And I'm rattling off these a lot, but if anybody's interested, I do have a, a migraine specific lab guide. So we'll, I'll share some of that information Great. so that you'll have that. And then we also want to take a look at, you know, iron. What's our iron status? What's our copper and zinc status? I know we were talking about that earlier. Very important. We want to take a look at some of the inflammatory markers to see, you know, where we're at uh, in that range. And so, you know, just getting an idea of where we are from a hormonal standpoint, considering estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, DHEA, just some good ideas to kind of understand, you know, is this a major problem or not? And then when we get results back and here's the biggie, because doctors will look at it and, oh, you're in normal range, you're fine, when clearly you're not. When it comes to migraine, there's actually different reference ranges of where somebody should be, specifically with thyroid and iron, um, that research has shown that below certain numbers that are well within the considered normal range are correlated with increased migraine frequency and intensity. So if we're looking at, for example, T3, and you're at a 2.4, that's considered normal by most normal ranges. Yeah, it's on the lower side, but it's considered normal. From a migraine standpoint, anything below 2.5 is con- is correlated with increased frequency of migraine and, uh, intensity and frequency. So when we look at it and say, oh, your T3 is, f- your thyroid's fine. Well, no, actually it's not. There's something that we need to do to make that work better. And so really looking at it with the lens of understanding it uh, from a migraine standpoint is extremely important in correctly interpreting the labs and the nutrients that we're measuring on those tests. Yeah. Yeah, That's really fascinating because I'm only laughing because I just got a message from a client about some 
blood work that I flagged and was like, I think you should talk to your doctor. And the doctor was like, it's not high enough to do anything about, but it's kind of like that thing that people with hypothyroidism are constantly told, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, like you're fine. You're normal. Like I was told that for years. Right. But then I actually had like an undiagnosed autoimmune disease, you know, like it was never run or it was never discussed or it was never like, I, at least when I suggest a client runs lab work, I think, well, how, how are we using this? How can we move forward? And I think sometimes with conventional medicine, they probably are running those labs and thinking, you know, they won't run those extra labs because it's not going to change their treatment outcome of medication. But for someone like you, you can be like, oh, well, actually like, let's talk about like optimizing your T3 and your thyroid and and see if that helps to decrease your migraines. So exactly good. And B12 is a, is a huge one. I I can't say how many times they've been in the three or four hundreds and functionally speaking, like that's in the toilet, right? I mean, it's so low. Like we need to be up around the 900 range to feel good, but it's considered normal as long as it's above 300. I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I see that one probably on every lab report that no one's in 900 when they start. No, um, because they're not digesting. They don't have enough stomach acid. They're not digesting food. And then it's like, it's really low where they're not eating enough B12 rich foods to begin with. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So do you prim- primarily do blood work? Do you do any other kinds of a lab work that you find helpful? Or is it mostly those ones you mentioned already? Yeah. So, so that's our starting point, right? And then we address anything that comes back on the labs. We're making sure that the lifestyle and the dietary piece are on board And, you know, in a lot of cases that will resolve a high percentage of people with migraines. However, then we get into the kind of the more stubborn ones and that's where we need to dig even deeper. So now we're starting to look at some more functional lab testing, taking a look at hormones, uh, adrenal function. So measuring cortisol and DHEA levels, measuring neurotransmitters and really kind of diving into there. And then of course, there's also, you know, if you need to do GI testing to look for any potential underlying infections there, then that's something. So that's where it stops becoming everybody needs to do this to here's what we, you and me need to work on. These are the areas that are specific to you. And then we kind of start to hone in on those. And so it's a kind of a combination between, you know, what research has shown is supportive for the vast majority of people with migraine and then dialing it into the more individual. Okay. Now here's where your other issues are lying. Okay, great. Well, let's get into those because those are three areas that I also love looking at. And I would love to hear your thoughts on how it relates to migraines. So We've got neurotransmitters, we've got gut, and we've got hormone function and like adrenal function would be a hormone cortisol. Let's start with the hormone one. Like, what are we seeing there? Because I know, you know, migraines can be related to like estrogen, but you also mentioned like DHEA, testosterone, progesterone. Have you seen any trends inside of that? Like really, really high estrogen or really, really low testosterone causes migraines? Or what have you seen um, that has been helpful in terms of the hormone picture? you you kind of hit, hit all of those, right? High estrogen, really low testosterone, low progesterone. All of those are, are major issues. The pattern that I most commonly seen or see is really taking into account the estrogen progesterone ratio. So this is extraordinarily important, especially in somebody with migraine or any hormone imbalance really. But what that ratio is, is the amount of estrogen we have in comparison to the amount of progesterone we have. And so Estrogen is a pro-inflammatory, pro-histamine. You know, it's obviously very necessary for a lot of functions, but it's also very detrimental when we have too much of it. In comparison, progesterone is a neurosteroid, so it reduces inflammation in the brain. It reduces inflammation just generally. 
Um, it helps us feel calm and more even keel from a mood perspective. It helps us with sleep. So there's a lot of beneficial things. And just in general, the the chemicals we're exposed to are generally our, our diet um, in a lot of cases and our stress levels all negatively impact progesterone as the very first thing that is suffering from a result of a lot of our lifestyle things. And so when I see a, a functional medicine testing, like the hormones, saliva or urinary testing, what I tend to see is that the estrogen progesterone ratio, which should be about 200. So estrogen would be one progesterone, 200 or better. Uh, I tend to see it's either in single digits or in the like tens or twenties, right? It like 10 times lower than it should be. And nobody feels good at that range. But when it comes to a migraine, then we know, okay, we've got major issues, imbalances between how much estrogen we have going on and how much progesterone. So we have essentially a very pro-inflammatory hormone running around in our brain wrecking havoc. And our progesterone there that's there to kind of curtail that is not, it's not there in enough quantities to make you feel good. So then we start seeing, you know, a lot of the fatigue and the mood issues and the sleep issues and things like that. So really taking a look at that ratio is extremely important. And then of course, there's always the people that are tanked just in general. They have no estrogen, no progesterone, no testosterone at all. And you know that it, that's the other less common, but also fairly frequent pattern that I see. Yeah. I've seen that one a lot with like chronic, chronic fatigue, um, yep. burnout, burnout people who've been yep. in fight or flight for a yes. long time, or even like chronic pain people like endometriosis. Yep. Pain is like, super stressful on the body for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's just really hard to deal with when you, when you're talking about something like endo where it's like yeah. surgery, I mean, there's not like there there's it's in there. So I, we really empathize with that. And, um, that's really fascinating what you said. Cause I have this person who, um, seems to have migraine specific inc incidences around her estrogen peaks. So like mm -hmm. that, that right, like right around ovulation before there's a lot of progesterone in the body. And then again, that little that little top up of estrogen we get later in the luteal phase um, before we drop yeah. out. Um, and then having it again when she drops out on all of her hormones during bleeding. So it seems yes. very related to the ebbs and flows. And could you speak into, and maybe this is too prescriptive, but in the sense that that is like really a normal cycle, right? That's mm -hmm. like, we have our rise in estrogen and this peak in testosterone, and then we ovulate and we have progesterone, and then we have a little bit more estrogen, and then we kind of fall off and we bleed. Is there anything that, that can still be done for a cycling female who might just be extra sensitive to potentially those, those hormones? Is it, is it about just supporting the progesterone through the chemical reduction, the diet, the stress, or is there anything else that they can really hope for in terms of normality at that part of the cycle? So definitely there's, there's herbal options and things that can promote progesterone in the body. Um, there's even over the counter low dose progesterone creams that are very helpful in some cases as well. A lot of where we start is either with vaginal steam baths or um, seed cycling or essential oil cycling, you know, that's up to the, to the individual. And I've actually seen that be very effective in helping with balancing hormones. It's not always enough when it comes to a migraine picture, but it's a great place to start to um, begin getting those hormones back into balance. So with seed cycling, you'd eat certain seeds in the first half of your cycle where you're supporting estrogen. And then in the second half, you're eating more progesterone influencing seeds. And that actually can make a big difference. I've, I've had some very sensitive people to seed cycling that they had crazy changes in their hormones with, you know, bleeding at weird times and it kind of freaked them out. And it's like, all right, well, let's just 
ease back on how much of it you're eating as you're super sensitive to it. But I mean, it can have a really profound impact on hormones, something as simple as that. And of course it takes a couple of months. It's not an instant overnight thing, but then on top of that, we need to be working on our detox pathways, right? How our body is able to break down the estrogen. And along with that goes the adrenal support and the stress management, because if we're not putting those into place as well, then we can't really make the progesterone that we need to, to begin with. So it really does come down to that combination of all of it in order to uh, allow your body to make it. And, and again, if you're not at a point where your, your adrenals are functioning well enough, or you're able to manage stress because of just where life is at this point, that's where medications or bioidentical hormones or something like that are very appropriate and very helpful to get you through that season so that then you can do the things that need to be done in order to help your body do it on its own. Oh yeah. I love, oh, so good. I love this. I have a seed cycling guide and I've, I found it to be really useful as well. So I'm glad you mentioned seed cycling and vaginal steam baths as well is something that's not as much talked about, but can be so helpful. I know Dr. Marisa Snyder really talks about those essential oils. She has like a whole book about essential mm-hmm. oils and hormones. So that's a really good reminder. <laughs> yeah. Those are great too. Thank you for that. And I, I really do want to harp on this and get on my little soapbox. So like so many people start to detox and either their pathways are not open or they are too adrenally tanked. Yes. Like you've heard it here. I've said it before. (laughs) Please, please do not try to detox something like, I don't know, a a parasite (laughs) without first really supporting your body. And to me that when I think about that, I think about adrenals. I think okay, well, what do we need for adrenal function besides taking time for ourselves and maybe meditation or, or those, those types of practices that help us to relax, but also like from a vitamin mineral status, it's potassium, sodium, vitamin C, B5, and magnesium. And every single lab that I've run for a client in minerals, they're so low, yeah, so low. I don't run B5, but the others, they're all completely low. And so we can look at um, any of these health things, right? Whether it's Hashimoto's, IBS, depression, migraines, with this like um, attitude of like attack, attack, a kill, kill, or we can like step into it <laughs> and yeah. really think about supporting our bodies um, in this way. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's like we kind of can chase our tails almost trying to make our health like a little checklist, um, <laughs> like everything else, like the meal prep is like the same thing as like, fixing our migraines. And it's like, well, actually, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Like let's, let's also not go into it in a stressed place. Cause that's how we maybe it could be contributing to why we're there in the first that's place. That's such, that's such a good point because I see that very frequently. Like the women that come to me, they are so ready to do anything they need to do. And I have things laid out in a very specific and orderly way so that they don't overwhelm themselves, but then they're like, okay, well, you know, that, establishing a sleep cycle doesn't really seem that important to me. So I'm just not going to do that part. And it's like, "Mm, you have to do all the things in order to really uh, allow that procedure for your body. So if you're not doing the electrolyte support and you're not doing the adrenal support in this specific order, then you're not going to be ready for the detoxing that we do in two more weeks. And then you jump into the detoxing and then you end up having worse migraines. And it's like, okay, we have to do a full review. What have you started? Okay, well, you missed these very important steps that were there for a reason. So it is super important. And it's frustrating because you just want to feel better. So you want to do it all. But in order to feel better and do it all, you have to take that step back and do it slowly so that your body can handle it. Otherwise, you're just going to trigger more symptoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I 100% believe that. Um, and 
one step at a time. One That's little right. Step at a time. I know it's, it's, it can be so slow. It's, it can be frustrating how slow it is, but it just depends on how far down the hole you are. And that's how slow you need to go, right? The farther down you are, the slower you need to take it because your body just can't handle it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And for those of us who've been on the chronic illness spectrum for a long time, it can be so frustrating. But yeah. um, when we rush it, it can be like really disastrous and backfire. Yeah. So glad we talked about that. Okay. So we covered hormones, any like one or two things you see in patterns with neurotransmitters. I know I've, I've seen, I just started doing neurotransmitter testing when I got off my medication and what I've seen in clients a lot has been like extremely elevated, like excitatory um, neurochemicals Mm -hmm. like histamine or glutamate, and then like not nearly enough of the more like relaxing things like GABA or, you know, serotonin, which can keep us happy. And you mentioned serotonin earlier. So I'm fascinated to know, what do you think about the whole brain chemistry part of this? Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, having worked on everything that we've talked to up to this point and maybe doing some genetic support to make sure that our genes are functioning optimally, So that, you know, the pathways that our neurotransmitters rely on are open and ready to go. And a lot of times that's enough, but we do as part of our program with our clients, we do neuro, uh, neurohormonal testing on everybody. So we're looking at the adrenal function, the hormone testing, and then the neurotransmitters. And surprisingly, there is no pattern from a neurotransmitter standpoint. And that's one of the reasons why it can be super helpful to have the tests done. Mm -hmm. The patterns lie more in the symptoms they exhibit and how they respond to the different medications they've been prescribed, believe it or not, because the majority of medications for migraine, except for now the new CGRPs, um, but before that they were all GABA agonists or, you know, uh, calcium channel blockers, which affect glutamate or, you know, serotonin support. Uh, norepinephrine support. So depending on how somebody responded to those meds, I can usually tell what their neurotransmitter testing is going to say before we actually get results back. And I'm fairly accurate at this point in my career. I've been doing it long enough. And so when somebody does well on a triptan or, you know, the SSRIs help them, we obviously know that there's a serotonin component going on, right? And so then we want to help to support that in a healthy way. But in a lot of cases, we see our catecholamines are tanked. So dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine, a lot of times what I'll see is either they're not converting. So their dopamine is super high and their norepinephrine is super low. You've got a problem with the conversion. I don't know why you have, you know, low norepinephrine, but the fact that these SSNRIs are helpful for you tells me there is a norepinephrine piece and you're likely low. So then the testing can really help us to understand where in these pathways somebody's having problems. And that can be a game changer because as soon as we know, oh, well, I need to support my dopamine converting into my norepinephrine, and then we just do some of those nutrients and then voila, like their migraines cut in half overnight almost. It's like, Mm -hmm. that's fantastic. And then, you know, taking a look at how our adrenal functions, we can actually, I can see how your adrenals are functioning based on how you're converting your norepinephrine to your epinephrine. So when that ratio is way high, then I know, okay, then we've got to go back to addressing the adrenals. And that's where the main problem is lying. It's not the fact that you've got low epinephrine. It's the fact that your body can't convert it properly. Mm -hmm. So then that kind of helps to give us a little bit more specific guidance into where we need to specifically treat 
and then moving forward. So I do tend to see a lot of low GABA, high and low histamine, actually, both of them can be triggers, high and low serotonin, high and low dopamine. So it is completely random based on the individual. Yeah. So it's not like, oh yeah, everyone who's having a migraine is having extremely elevated histamine or serotonin. It's really more just like what's truly their own genetics and their own makeup that's doing it. Exactly. Fascinating. I have seen a lot of that really, really high dopamine, like, which is a loss, basically what you said right before. It's like, it's not really like converting properly in that sense. And it's almost always been, um, when I've seen those brain stuff and then we can use the amino acids, but like a lot of it has come back down to their stress levels and Mm -hmm. ability to manage stress. So yeah, it's like, if we do the work, (laughs) that's right. We know stress. Yeah. So, so, so good. Wow. That is fascinating. I love how this is kind of linking into the whole picture. Um, just cause I don't focus necessarily on migraines. I see people with you know, headaches and sometimes they have hormonal migraines, but it's not like the main thing that they're coming to me for. So this is just so fascinating to learn from you and see all the things you get to do. I mean, these women probably are having amazing results working with you, I would imagine. Yeah, we have about a 92% reduction in migraines by the time that they're done with us. So, so, you know, they'll come in at 25 to 30 migraine days a month and they'll leave with anywhere from zero to, you know, two and, and a lot of times it's just after, at that point, it's just a matter of continuing to allow your body to heal, right? Because, you know, we can't undo in six months or in 12 months, we can't undo 20 years, but we can sure get a long way. And then you end up like me where I'm now eight years migraine free. And so it is possible. I won't say I'm cured. I never say that migraines are cured because I fully believe if I go back out of, out of balance and don't take care of myself, my migraines will come back. And Mm -hmm. I've had that experience happen before where I was under a lot of stress. I didn't choose well from a dietary perspective. I wasn't sleeping well. And uh, that was actually the last migraine that I had. So I know they'll come back, but you know, they're totally controllable. It's just, Mm -hmm. nobody taught me how to do it. So now I get to teach others how to do it. And it's, I just love it. It's just my passion. Love that so much. (laughs) So I can see it all over your face and in your voice. You're so um excited by this and that's the the best and that's a nerd <laughs> yeah total nerd I love it I know I'm like <laughs> I want to just con- like stay on the phone with you all day <laughs> I I did just want to I guess touch on really quickly you'd mentioned gut health testing so do you find that that yes. can be sometimes helpful people have like pathogens or bacterias in their gut or what is it that you find helpful about the gut and the migraine connection yeah, I so we do a ton with the gut. Um, I don't do as much testing. So a lot of times what we'll do is if there is some suspicion, then I'll refer them back to their um, their GI doc to do, you know, SIBO testing or, or whatever would be appropriate. But we do have some of those testing options available if needed. In my opinion, everything in health, every chronic issue comes down to two main things. What we're feeding our body, our diet and our gut health and our stress right? If we can control those two things, then um, we're 90% of the way there. But unfortunately, what happens is, you know, and it's happened to me as well, stress will wreak havoc on our gut. The food choices that we make as we're younger, before we maybe even know about healthy food choices, wreak havoc on our gut that we then pay for when we're in our 30s and 40s, right? And so all of those things are super important to pay attention to. One of the things that I run across from a diet gut perspective is, Most migraineurs understand that certain foods trigger them. 
And what I tend to see is that over time, they're like, oh, well, you know, that beef triggers me. So I'm not going to eat beef anymore. And then, okay, well, now it seems like, you know, a oh, gluten triggered me. So I, I stopped eating gluten and dairy a long time ago. And then, well, now I can't eat this fruit because that triggers me. And then suddenly we're eating three things yeah. and we don't have enough nutritional diversity to feed our gut, to keep the inflammation down or the nutrients that our body needs to just be healthy. And then there's so much fear about adding foods back in because there's that emotional response that comes. So that that's a real issue. And I see so, I would say probably 95% of my clients are malnourished and it's not intentional, right? They're, they're trying to do the best for their body. They just don't understand that restricting so much is actually detrimental to their healing process. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so we really work on Initially, yes, we don't call it an elimination diet. I hate that term from a migraine standpoint because they've already eliminated so much. Mm -hmm. What we call it is dietary swaps, right? We're switching gluten and instead we're adding in teff, millet, sorghum, quinoa, right? So we've got five things we're swapping out for one. We're maybe switching away from dairy, but we're adding in you know, some of these other uh, cheese alternative or dairy alternatives, right? Any of the different milks or whatever, what have you. So mm -hmm. we're really looking at ways that we can expand our diet while eliminating the inflammatory foods. And I think that approach has been so much healthier for people to just kind of wrap their brain around, like we're using food as medicine. And it's so key because it plays such a huge role in our health. Mm. But then what the other problem that I see is that they've eliminated and maybe they're under control and they've eliminated foods. But if we don't heal the gut, what's going to happen? We're going to start developing reactions to other yeah. foods, right? And so we have to get that barrier back in place. And mm -hmm. over the last 10 years, I think that we've made huge advance advances in understanding um, scientifically that there is an absolute direct connection between the gut and the brain. And most people have heard of that gut brain connection now. Some people haven't, and that's okay. But they're, they're calling our gut the second brain. And so when it comes to migraines, you cannot treat migraines without treating the gut because the gut acts as a second brain. So it's super important to get in there, work on healing the gut, addressing any infections that have been ongoing. I mean, we've caught in fact, like parasitic infections from like a trip to, you know, some African country 20 years ago. Like I had a patient living with it for 20 years and nobody ever diagnosed them. It, it's just, it's crazy what's missed. And so- okay. Yeah. So, you know, just really paying attention to how, even if you don't have gut issues, if you have migraines, your gut needs attention. It just does. So that was almost my little soapbox. <laughs> Love it. No, I'm, I feel exactly the same way you do. So, and I do find it's very challenging to walk the line when you're talking about something chronic and removing foods mm -hmm. and then how do you help somebody to reintroduce and i love the idea um that was also something that i and was like how can you add in how can you crowd yes. out the things that are like not as helpful for most people um and i love that i love that gluten swap that you have that's, that's so good i think i'll <laughs> i think i'm going to use that um that Ew. word swap because yeah because it's really challenging and then and then if you factor even in and this is kind of a tangent but i think it's important is like the vast majority of women, at least in this country, have been on either a restrictive diet, have binge eating, have had anorexia or some or some other form of disordered eating. And then they also have like maybe a, a chronic health thing going on, like a migraine. And so it's like, how do we walk this line? And I right. love that approach because, again, if we go back to like function in the body, we need cellular energy to do anything. 
do anything. Mm-hmm. And that comes yep. from our food. And yes. the thing that depletes it is poor food choices, right? Poor, poor food choices for us, I would say, right? Like whatever that means for you. And also the stress, like you said. Yes. It's, it's like it's huge, but we don't want to deal with our stress, right? <laughs> I know. Um, and so we we have like this uphill battle, but when you really finally do, you can see this change. And then I think when you get there and then you have a trigger, like you said, you know, I've had those two where like I just got off my path and then I was very, very well reminded why I do the things exactly. I do. Why we put in all this work. Yes. Yeah. Why do I take care of myself this way? And um, yeah. I think the cool thing is that we're kind of, I'm seeing at least, and maybe you are too, like a trend towards wanting to be well, yes. um, as opposed to kind of just trashing our bodies um, in, in the ways that we've had done before. And I don't know if it's an age thing or if it's just a, the time post pandemic, you know, whatever, but there is seems to be a trend for people to really want to step up and take care of themselves. And for those of us that have been on the journey for 10 to 20 years, congratulations. We're glad you're here. You're going to feel great. Mm -hmm. And yeah, um, amazing things can do. Like you said, like I said, in your bio that you wrote, like, you know, when we get out of this like constant survival mode, we can actually get back to thriving. We can actually get back to what we love to do. Yeah, it's so true. And I think that part of the problem too, is that we society is just such a, a go, go, go. For me, it was. And for a lot of the women that I interact with, like we don't even think about the stress we're under and we don't particularly feel stressed. We just do because we're moms and we're wives and our caretaker role is like, that's just what we do. And until you kind of take a step back and think, how much time did I actually spend for myself or on myself? And it's not until you realize that that number is zero until you go to bed, it's like, mm, okay, that is a problem. And how do I change that? Because I never felt particularly stressed. I love taking care of my family. I don't necessarily like cooking or things, but I love, you know, providing for them. And so it's not necessarily particularly stressful, but when I'm constantly going from, you know, taking my kids to school, packing their lunches, getting them ready in the morning, and then I come back to, you know, work all day and I work without a lunch break. And then I go pick the kids up and then I come back and I start making dinner. And it's like, I didn't even take any time for myself. I didn't feel fine, but right. So I think it's like just that go, go, go mentality that we have that is so easy to creep in. And even today, like now it still does to me. And I've been working on it for the past decade. So it's just, (laughs) you know, something to be hyper aware of and, you know, really be okay with like, I still to this day feel guilty taking an hour lunch and like eating and then reading my fun book for an hour. Like, how sad is that? That I feel guilty for taking an hour to myself in the middle of my work day. I feel like I should be doing something, you know? It's like, oh, absolutely. And yeah. we really need the rest. I think you're right. I think especially for women, we we are like this nurturer. And so we're like trying to be mom and trying to run a business or trying to climb the corporate ladder. Like there's so many things going on. I'm a New Yorker. So I was describing what it was like to work in events and work in theater on Broadway and to my friends yesterday in the car and they were like, that's insane. No wonder you got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease that's closely related to adrenal fatigue. <laughs> you know? yeah. It was just like, yeah, you know, so. um, But so, you didn't recognize it at the time, did you? Oh, I had no idea. No yeah. idea. You're oh, just wow. doing life. I was yeah. doing life. I was just yeah. doing the thing that I was told I always had to do, right? Until I, until I literally could not, until I yes. could not get out of bed. And yeah. then it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah maybe I have to look at, you know, what I'm eating and my gut and my stress levels. And that's what reversed 
my my autoimmune disease and I, I use the same thing. I would never say cure, but like reverse the symptoms, yes. the you know, expression of it. Okay. Well, I feel like we've covered all the things we were going to cover. Um, how do people find you? I know you have some free guides, so maybe we can link them in the show notes as well. Yes, and absolutely. you have your program that helps people with migraine specifically. Easiest place to find all of the above is at our website, migrainemastery.org. At the very bottom, there is a link to free migraine resources. So that will take you to a page that has that lab list that I was mentioning. It has a list. um, I call it my 48 things, which it's now like, I don't know, 63 or something, but they're all the things that research has linked to migraine. So you can almost use it as a checklist. Like what have I looked at? What have I not looked at? And um, there will be a lot of things on there that I think will surprise people, you know, but the good news is that there's still a lot more places to start exploring if this is a major issue. And then um, a few other things. uh, And then it also has links to all of our social media. So we have Migraine Mastery and Migraine Free Life on YouTube. We have um, the Natural Migraine Doc on Instagram and we have Migraine Mastery and my Migraine Support Group on Facebook. So um, you can certainly follow us on any of those. Great. That sounds like there's a lot of free resources and of course the option to work with you if the all yes. the things we've just talked about didn't work. <laughs> and people oh yes, like, right. Well, yes, there's also links to my program as well if somebody wants to to explore that. Cool. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll link as many of those as we can into the show notes so people can find them easily. This has been a pleasure. I'm so happy you came on the show and I hope this has helped at least one person out there. <laughs> yeah. well, thanks so much for having me. It's been great. Yeah. All right, everybody. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope this episode got you one step closer to achieving your optimal health. If you liked this episode, please spend a few seconds to rate it so more women can find this resource. Be sure to tune in for more women's health support next week on the She Talks Health podcast. And in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at She Talks Health. I have an open door DM policy. No question is stupid and I'm always here for you.